Grace and peace to you from the one who was and who is and who is to come, the great I am, our Lord and Savior Jesus. Dear Christian friends, we are at the midpoint of Lent, halfway through, and we've been looking this Lenten season, this Lenten series at giving up, not quitting, but but giving up some things that are let's be honest, that are difficult, right? That are, are tough. They're not easy to give up. And it takes some, some work, some effort on our part, some intentionality. It takes some trust. In fact, a, a, a lot of trust. It takes a full reliance on God in order to make this really happen. And that's good because we've been looking at that the last few weeks because that leads us up to today We're going to build on that very idea that we need to rely on God, that we need to be tough, to get tough with some things in our lives that that God wants us to give up, to get rid of. Because we all like to have a measure of security, right? I mean, we we want to build up our nest egg and to, to build up some equity in our home so we have some financial security. We want to have a, a job with an employer that, you know, we know is going to be around for a long time. And, and we want a job that we know is going to be there, not just tomorrow or next week, but, but for a while. We want some job security. We want to be in a relationship with someone that, that loves us without conditions, warts and all, so that we have some relationship security. Now, this is the part where it'd be really easy to throw you all into a big mass panic attack. Because those things aren't really as secure as we'd like them to be. I mean, ask any skilled thief. Don't Google it, because you'll find some terrifying things that'll keep you up at night. But a really dedicated thief, a skilled thief, if they really want to, it doesn't matter how fancy your security system is. They can get into your house. Your nest egg, well, ask those who invested in Enron or any other investments that turned out to be Ponzi schemes or scams. The equity in your home, talk to someone who's been through a flood or a fire. See how they feel about equity. I'm not trying to cause you to to freak out or some massive anxiety. Um, I'm not trying to make you feel like I need to pull up roots and move off into the middle of nowhere and turn into a hermit because there's just no one and no thing that I can truly trust. See, the point is really less about the fact that there is nothing that we, can't tr- that we can trust in this world, in this life, that doesn't include some risk. And that includes yourself. The point is more about there is one place we can put our trust, one person we can trust in for true security that will never, ever fail us in life or in eternity. And that's Jesus. This morning, though, we're taking a look at the idea of false security. Because we have this, right, we have this desire to have security and we want to, to fully trust in Jesus, but let's be honest, we don't. 
We don't do that well at all. And, and we've looked at that over the last few weeks, right? How we, we tend to hedge our bets. We trust in something, someone else. Maybe not fully, but we certainly don't trust God 100%. And, and we've heard God warn about that and, and lead us back to him. Today, though, we're going to look at the other, the other side of that coin that's a lot more subtle, but it's equally dangerous, and it's the idea of false security. Here's why false security is so dangerous. It's our first takeaway this morning. False security is dangerous because it allows me to be lazy in my faith. To make that point, God used a man named Paul who wrote a letter that God wanted him to write. He wrote the words that God gave him to a bunch of Christians living in the ancient Greek city of Corinth. And, and Paul did so to, to teach them some lessons from history. And the purpose of those lessons for them is the same as the purpose of those lessons today for you and for me. So let's take a look, beginning at uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Now, Paul begins by reminding his hearers, both in Corinth and here in Colorado, of God's love for his people. We heard the, the other side of that history in God calling Moses to be the leader of his people. God used Moses and, and God in a miraculous way, right, delivered his people. He rescued them from slavery. And then he, he led them out through the, the waters of the Red Sea, piled up on either side, walking through on dry ground defeating the, the most powerful army in the world at the time. And when they got out into the middle of nowhere and they had no food for this huge nation of people, God miraculously provided manna literally from heaven and quail for them to eat every single day for decades. And when they got to this place where there was no water, God brought water out of a rock and not just like a little trickle like sometimes we see up in the mountains. It was enough for the, the thirst of an entire nation and all of their animals. God visibly went before them, ahead of them. And I don't know about you, but that, that sounds so amazing that it makes me think it must have been pretty easy to be a believer, don't you think? I mean, they saw God perform miracle after miracle after miracle to bring them out of Egypt. They walked through dry ground in the middle of a sea. They saw the presence of God in that pillar of fire and that pillar of, of cloud. They ate the food God literally brought, put before them every single day. They saw miracle after miracle of God's visible presence, providing, protecting, rescuing, saving. It sure should, sure should have been easy, right? To be a believer, to trust fully, wholly in God. Well, God says otherwise. Take a look at verse 5. Nevertheless, 
God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. God was not pleased with his people. And many of them, as a result, most of them, did not enter into the land that God had promised to his people. So why was God so displeased? Why was he so unhappy with them? Well, take a look, beginning at verse 6. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Here comes the list. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. Yikes. If you remember some of your Bible story lessons from Sunday school or Foundation Kids, if you, if you read through some of the Old Testament book of Exodus, maybe you can, can actually even put in place some of these events that God is describing. He doesn't, he doesn't specifically say that was, the, that was the example of this, but we can probably identify a few of them pretty, pretty easily, right? The one that probably is the easiest to call to mind. God had led his people out, this miraculous presence, and he went up on the mountain to give his law, right? And, and there, up on the mountain, there was thunder and lightning, God's visible presence, and Moses went up there. But he was gone for a really long time, you know, like 30 days. And, well, maybe God isn't really up there, and maybe Moses isn't coming back down. So we're going to make ourselves our own God. It'll be good. We'll take a bunch of gold and turn it into a bull, a cow. And so they worshipped the golden calf. And they ate, and they drank, and they made merry as God was up on the mountain giving his desire and his design for his people. They, the, God says they turned away from him by committing sexual sins. And some of that is in the, was in the name and, and under the guise of worshiping false gods, fertility gods, engaging in in all of their detestable practices, God says. They disobeyed, they despised Christ is actually the term that God uses in the Old Testament. Right? Because who's the one who, who literally provided for them day after day? Well, that was God himself. The Bible actually says it was Christ. And what did they do? Ugh, we have to eat manna again. Ugh. They despised the gifts that God gave them. They, they turned away. They turned up their noses. They said, why aren't you giving us something better? You're God, aren't you? Ooh. They grumbled. They complained about God. They grumbled and complained about the leaders that God gave them. They rebelled against the leaders that God had put in place. And as, as God clearly and visibly provided for them and protected them, well, they became lazy. And in their complacency, they sinned. They disobeyed God. They turned away from God. They complained God wasn't doing enough. They wanted something, someone better than God. Do something better for us, God, or we're going over there. We'll find a new God. 
they turned God into an idol. They got rid of God's design for sex and marriage and made it whatever they wanted it to be. They despised God and got lazy, deciding they knew what was better. And here's where it might be tempting to do like this spiritual eye roll. Come on, guys. You should know better than this. God's right there. You can see him. You can see the fire. You can see the smoke. You can see the cloud. How do you not know better than this? Look on the ground tomorrow morning. You're going to find food from him. Why is this so hard for you to get that this is God providing all of this? Why is it so hard for you to be thankful? Don't you ever wonder why sometimes God includes like some of those really sordid stories, accounts, some of those really violent and even scary at times accounts in the Old Testament? I mean, wouldn't you expect that God would would kind of clean it up a little bit? That he'd kind of sanitize it and, and whitewash it? That he'd make it seem like being a believer, like being a Christian is something that's, that's really good and really easy and really carefree. That's exactly why God doesn't. God doesn't whitewash history. He doesn't sanitize it because he wants us to understand. In fact, the verses that give these Give these examples, these reminders from the Old Testament. God bookends them by telling us their purpose, right? He said in verse 6, they're they're examples for us. And now take a look at verse 11. He says, these things happened as examples, and they were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. That culmination of the ages, well, Jesus has come. He's ascended back into heaven, and the next time anyone sees him is going to be judgment day. And so God wants us to understand there's an urgency here. You don't know when he's coming back. It could be in five minutes. It could be in 500 years. Nobody knows except God alone. And that's why he gives us warnings. He reminds us of this. It's not because God is trying to, like, puff himself up. You guys should see how tough of a God I am. That's not what God is doing. He's got a much bigger purpose. It's not about God, it's about you. And that's what our second takeaway is this morning. That God gives examples as warnings about becoming spiritually lazy. Were those Israelites tempted? They sure were. Did anyone have them like holding a spear or a sword to their throat? They were tempted to to trade in God's design and desire for sex. They were tempted to to turn away from God and worship something else. Whether it was food or fun or family or anything else. They were tempted to grumble and complain against God. But nobody forced them. They were tempted and they did it. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Hits home maybe a little more than we'd like. Because nobody forces you or me. I don't think there's anybody in your home that's saying, you must consume this, whether that's alcohol or food, like more food than you should, whether that's pornography 
or material that you know is just not good, good for your mind or good for your soul. Nobody's sitting there with your eyes taped open saying, you got to watch this. The temptation comes and we, we're lazy. It's just easier, isn't it? It's easier to sit there. It's easier to consume. It's easier to partake. It's easier to, to go along with. And that's where God wants us to be warned. Because there's actually a bigger temptation with this. It's our next takeaway. That I'm tempted to think that temptation and sin aren't serious. Because I'm a Christian. I know God. I know Jesus. We've talked. He's told me some good things that he loves me. Sin isn't a big deal. That's not true. And worse than not true, it's spiritually lazy. And that's what God is warning against. It's actually the, God, the danger that God warns against in these verses. Everything is, is laying out these examples and telling us these are warnings. And here's why. Verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Here's the warning about false security. When you think that you've got this, when you think that, that sin is not some grotesque, horribly offensive thing to God, where he says, do this, and you say, I don't want to. Where he says, absolutely, don't do that. It's bad for you. And you go, ha, huh, well, I'm going to anyway. Don't think that that's like some minor thing that God just goes, oh, well, I guess they didn't want to today. That is... That is disobedient. It is rebellious. For you parents, you know how it is when your kids just walk away when you're talking to them. Oh, man, talk about getting the blood pressure up, right? How do you think God feels when he says, don't do this, and you go, yeah, but I want to. Don't think that sin is some minor, insignificant thing that God doesn't care about. Don't think that it's something that that you can just, you know, keep get going as close to the fire, seeing, seeing where the line is, right? How close can I get? You know what the, the sin is that particularly plagues you. Greed, or gossip, or worry, lust. How close can I get to that fire? How, how many times can I just step across the line just a little bit without getting burned? Friends, that's a, a dangerous, dangerous thing to attempt. It's not a game to play. It's actually the time when you are, are most vulnerable. It's the time when you think you're standing firm. You think, I can, I can do this. Sin's not a big deal. This one isn't such a big, big issue. I can, I can get close to the fire. I won't get burned. Have you ever seen an epic fail video? All the kids are smiling and laughing. There's some pretty epic ones out there. Maybe be careful in some of the ones you watch because they make you cringe. Right? They're probably some of the more common and tame ones are, are you know, these extreme sport kind of people, whatever. Uh, people biking or snowboarding or skateboarding. And they're doing something that they've probably done dozens of times. It's not like necessarily some crazy trick, although sometimes it is. But sometimes it's something pretty, pretty simple. They're maybe trying to show off. 
They've done this, done this stunt, done this thing dozens of times, and then there's this guy trying to show off, and over the handlebars he goes. And it's an epic fail. That one time, right? Boom. And sometimes the, they get up and they're oh, shaking their heads and friends are laughing and pointing and go, oh, I got it. You should see this. But there are other times where those epic fails don't get up. And that's the warning from God. That if you think sin is okay, if you think you've got this, if you think it's not a big deal, if you think you're safe all on your own, be careful that you don't fall. Be careful that if you think you've done this plenty of other times and, and nothing bad has happened, it's okay. Be careful that you don't fall. Because this epic fall, epic fail, it won't just leave you with some road rash or a broken bone. This is about your soul for eternity. See, God, God is serious. He's warning, not because he doesn't love, but because he does. And that's what we hear in the next verse where God talks about sin and temptation. Verse 13, he says, No temptation has overtaken you except what's common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This verse is probably one of the most misused and abused Bible passages. It's, it's been twisted and, and turned. God won't let me face anything difficult in this life. No, he's not talking about difficulty. He's talking about temptation. He's not talking about hardship. He's not talking about suffering. He's talking about temptation. And he says, he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And so we twist that into thinking, well, then if it's hard, well... God must not care, right? Or he wouldn't let me face it because I can't really handle all that much, let's just be honest. That's not at all what God is saying. God is saying there's no temptation that you're facing today that the ancient Israelites didn't face in the desert. There's nothing new. It might take a different form. But the temptation to replace God with something or someone else, the temptation to rewrite God's design and desire for your life and the gifts that he gives you, the temptation to say, God, you're not doing enough, you're not giving enough, you're not making it the way I want it to. And there's nothing new about that. Was it unique then? Not unique today. What God does do is he promises when you're tempted, he's going to give you a way out then nobody's going to sit there and force your eyes open to consume. Then nobody's going to sit there and hold your mouth open and pour it down your throat. Then nobody's going to sit there and make you worry and worry and worry and worry and worry. He promises instead that there's an off button. And you can put that device down and walk away. He promises that when you look around and you see all the, the people that you think have everything and you look at yourself and you go, poor me, I don't have any of that good stuff. That he'll provide a, a way for you to be thankful. 
That as you listen to people talking about other people, as you want to chime in and jump on the, the gossip bandwagon, that there's a door for you to walk out. That there's a, a, a sentence you can say that will end it right there. The problem, though, is that it's not really that there isn't a way out, that there's a problem. The problem is that we don't often want to take it. Because it's easier. It's easier to lust and to gossip and to be greedy and to complain. It's easier to just give in to temptation because we're lazy. <laughs> we're lazy. We want what's easy and we want what we want, not what God wants. And because we want what we want, because it's easy, because we're lazy, we fall. But here's the good news. God is faithful. That verse says it. The Bible says it. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. God is faithful. Because we aren't. And that's why it's sometimes hard for us to imagine God being as faithful and loving as he is. Because if, if I knew... If I was in God's shoes and, and somebody did what I just told them not to and it was an epic fail and I'd be tempted to go, shaking my head, serves you right. You got what was coming, didn't you? But God doesn't stand there and shame us. He doesn't point and laugh. He doesn't wag his finger. He doesn't say, I told you not to. Instead, he reaches out his nail-scarred hands. He picks us up. See, because every time that we sin, well, God knows it. He knows how often we're tempted. He knows how susceptible we are to temptation. He knows how easy it is for us to, to think sin isn't a big deal. And you know how he knows? He knows better than you know yourself. He knows better than I know myself. You know how he knows? Because he paid for them all. Every single one of those temptations that we give into that, that we can't even enumerate in a day, we're all on that cross. Every time that, that we trade God's design for my life, for what I want, well, Jesus bled and died for that sin. Every time that I, that I want to make sin not a big deal, Jesus bled and died for that. Every time that I turn away from him and I go running in a different direction, Jesus bled and died. Every time that I covet, every time that I lust, every time that I, I want something that I think he should give me and he doesn't, Jesus bled and died for that. It's a beautiful thing that no matter how often we have sinned, God doesn't wag his finger. God doesn't say, not today. God's faithful. He's faithful in continuing to reach out, in continuing to pick you up, in continuing to lead you back to the cross. Because here's our last takeaway. Jesus bled and he died for all of my failures. And he did it because he loves me.
See, there's the good news. God gives this, this volume of warnings, right? And in the warning is the motivation. God is faithful. He warns us not because you've got to, you've got to perform or else you're out. But he warns you because he doesn't want to see you hurt. He doesn't want to see you suffer the, the earthly consequences of sin. He doesn't want to see you ever suffer the eternal consequences of them either. And that's why he suffered and that's why he died. So that you don't have to. Because Jesus bled and he died for you. And so he gives us this warning, dear friends, not as a, a threat, but as a, I love you, and I care so much about you, and I want you to take this seriously because I want you with me forever, forever and ever and ever and ever. And I will wipe your, wipe your sins away, and I will pick you up and wash them clean again and again and again. So be careful, friends. Don't trust in yourself. Don't think of sin lightly. Don't, don't get caught up in the false security. Cling to Jesus. Because that is where our true security really is. Amen.